This is the fifth installment of our series discussing depression. And in the body of Christ, we can discuss depression without being depressed. Why? Because we have an answer in Jesus Christ. The Lord God is our answer for depression. I know this one to be the case because I have suffered with depression for a very long time. And I just didn't know that that's what it was. I had no earthly idea. When I found out, well, it's funny. When you have an enemy and you don't know who it is, where they're coming from, what their plan is, etc., you don't know how to approach it. But when you finally give it a face and you finally give it a name, now all of a sudden you, have, you can have a plan. Amen? Amen. Open with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We have been talking about various character, characters in the Bible who... Although sometimes you wouldn't think that they would be people that would ever suffer with depression, uh, even episodic depression where it happened this one time at this one episode with this one particular event and then never reappeared again, uh, people are just people. We have an interesting habit of taking biblical characters and putting S's on their chests, and putting capes on their backs, and turning them into superheroes that they weren't. They were people, just like you and I. And they did great things because they had the faith to do so, to believe in God, and God did great things because God needed great things to be done. But the reality is, biblical characters, with one notable exception, were never supermen or wonder women. They were people that God chose to use and empower for times and seasons. Amen? So don't ever freak out if you think about so-and-so having been depressed once upon a time. Don't. Don't worry about it. God got them through. Amen? This morning... This is session five of our discussion on depression, and our scripture verse is First Samuel chapter seventeen, beginning or it's verse ten, not beginning in verse ten, unless you want to end in verse ten too. The Bible says, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, and let us fight each other. This morning, I want to speak to you, I'd like to say briefly, but I can't promise that, about David. Everybody in this building and in all the other churches gathered around this city and elsewhere throughout the entire country and a whole bunch of people who aren't gathered in churches today know the story of David and Goliath. We all know it. Absolute rank heathen pagans when talking about some small entity going up against some gigantic mammoth entity refer to David against Goliath. Everybody knows this story. Everybody knows how the Philistines, according to 1 Samuel 17, 1, gathered their forces for war and assembled in Soko in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephes Demim, between Soko and Azekah, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped on the va- in the uh, valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. We all know this. We know how Goliath challenged the Israelites to a contest. And how no one in the army of the Lord, no one 
in the army of the Lord would step up to take the challenge because of fear of Goliath. And that only David would accept the challenge, ultimately defeating Goliath. Interestingly, David wasn't a member of the military. He was not a member of the army of the Lord. He wasn't serving in an official capacity under the government of Saul as a warrior in his army. He was sent by, of all people, his father. To do what? To bring food and refreshment. To who? His brothers. Who were serving in the army of the Lord. On that day, no one in the army viewed themselves as strong enough powerful enough or skilled enough to face Goliath. And ultimately, they weren't brave enough to take on the challenge. In fact, they were correct. They weren't any of those things. They couldn't be any of those things. Nobody in the army could match Goliath's stature. No one in the army could match Goliath's prowess, his skill, or his firepower. Even the tallest man in Israel, King Saul, wasn't willing to step up and battle Goliath because he knew that he wouldn't win. Concerning Saul and his stature, this is no small thing, and that's not a joke. That's not a pun. 1 Samuel 9 says this, From his shoulders upward, he, Saul, was taller than any of the people. That's essentially my sons. By anybody's standards, Saul was a big, big man. And he, the king of Israel, essentially the official protectorate of the nation, was completely unwilling, even equipped as a king would with the best equipment and the physically largest size of anyone in the nation. He was unwilling to address the task at hand. And the funny thing about it is if you read this story, you'll know because of what Goliath said, they had exactly one chance at getting this right. Somebody goes out there, fights Goliath. If, if, if you win and beat Goliath, woohoo! If you don't, well, all of Israel's the Philistine servants. This is going to be a problem, I can tell. They only have one chance at this. And Saul wasn't gambling with his own life. And for 40 days, they're putting up with this big mouth Goliath across the valley. And no one is willing to do anything about it. The king's daughter is offered in. All I have to say is she must have been ugly. I'm sorry, I really did say that. I'm really sorry. And better than that, you're tax-free for the rest of your life. Woohoo! I hate the IRS! No one stepped up. No one's going to step up. Because of Goliath, the entire army of God army of the Lord, the military of Israel, not a one. Regarding this story, tell me if I'm wrong. 
we always focus on Goliath. It's always all about Goliath. We always ask questions like, what is your giant? Or, what giant are you facing in your life? We always say that Jesus has empowered you and anointed you to be a giant killer. You've all heard those sermons. You're a giant killer. And so on and so forth. Etc., etc., yada, yada. It goes on and on. Yet here in 1 Samuel 17, we have a genuine, a legitimate, three-dimensional, technicolor, show-nuff giant showing up on the battlefield and no one in the Lord's army, no one in the Lord's army is willing to step up to the challenge. Does anybody else find that peculiar? Whose army are you in? Does anybody here know? Whose army are you in? And yet no one would step up to take on this challenge. No one is feeling empowered. No one is feeling anointed to face this imposing and this intimidating adversary. I must confess something. I've got to confess this. Like I've said before, I'm a former Catholic. Confession is one of those things we did. So I'm going to confess something. I'm going to confess that this story, accompanied by a myriad of teaching and preaching on this very topic, has confused me on one level or another for a long time. I'm going to be honest. It is as though we, the believers, are supposed to be able to combat the Goliaths in our lives with confidence and with authority, power and with anointing. Despite the fact that the believers in this story, represented by the Israeli military, can't combat him and didn't combat him. They don't rush in and take the day by defending the honor and the name of the Lord. They, they just didn't. Instead, they stayed on the sidelines, incapable of doing anything about the threat. It took a very young man, a shepherd boy, tending his father's flock, who wasn't enlisted in the military, who was just out running an errand for his father. It took him to step in and take care of business. If you want to know how bad this was, there on either side of the Valley of Elah, let me just tell you in the story, David shows up having been sent by Jesse. And I'm going to be honest with you, my father-in-law does the single best job I have ever heard of talking about the menu that David brought. Nobody does better than Gary. He shows up, he comes into camp, and he hears this giant. He takes everything he brought from Jesse, gives it over to the quartermaster and says, I'll be back. And he goes out to the lines. Israel is lined up. The Bible says they're in their battle lines. Philistines are over there, lined up. They do it every day. Forty days in, David shows up. And he says, what's going on? And he's out there at the lines. What's going on? I heard this clown. Was he? And suddenly, from somewhere else, other than the front line, Goliath walks into view and while he's on the front line, the entire Israeli military runs. That's what the Bible says. 
the whole military vacates the battle line. And this, what does that leave David? Nothing but crickets and tumbleweeds, man. He's out there all by himself. And Goliath, not even looking at him, just keeps on spewing defiance. This is day 40. It took a very young man to take care of business. And because I have a difficult time with this story, as it has been presented for so many years, and I'm not saying that everybody has, I'm saying the ones that I've heard have. I've had to come to a conclusion about this story. If this story were a coin, like all coins, it would have two sides. And I've come to the conclusion that this story has two sides. Two. There's the army of the Lord's side of the coin. And then there's the David's side of this coin. See, Goliath, Goliath is an incidental, even though we focus on him. The question isn't about Goliath here, brothers and sisters. The question is about David and about the army. That's what this story is all about. I don't care what the flannel graphs of yesterday have said. This is about David, and this is about the army. In this story, on one side of the coin, we have the army of the Lord. This army represents people. People who are faced with a problem of an inescapable an invincible adversary with no power to defeat him on their own. This army represents us. Just people. On the other side of the coin, we have David. David represents Christ. Not us. Christ is the solution to the Goliath problem in our world. The problem that all people face. And I think about 100% of those gathered here have already had taken care of. In theological circles... There's a law known as the law of double meanings. It's also referred to as the law of double references. Simply put, this law states that in a scripture, a word, um, a, a story, a passage, even a character, etc., etc., that those things can mean two things at the same time. It can mean the obvious thing, the thing that was relevant at the time of its writing, like David, Goliath, the two militaries. And then, simultaneously, it can mean a second thing, where the obvious meaning symbolizes something else as well, something future. You're following me? I got one person who said yes. Thank you. I've got two. We're working our way up. Understanding that the army of the Lord, David, Goliath, the Philistine army, and the rest were actually gathered in Soko on that day. That this was an actual event. It is history in the books. This really happened. We also must understand that that meeting on, in that valley of Elah that day also symbolizes future events where lost people, our Lord, and the devil come in close quarter contact with each other. Where the devil shouts threats of death eternal. Lost people are powerless 
on their own. And the Lord, through a cross and a rolled away stone, eliminates that enemy. An enemy where the military couldn't take care of it because they were amongst the people who were lost in close quarters with that Goliath. Understanding that it took a nondescript shepherd of little or no reputation whatsoever to eliminate a defiant giant and that that shepherd represents Christ and not us, we can still learn a lot from David. Despite the fact that in this story, the strictest theological interpretation is that David's not you. You are not David. David represents him. Goliath the devil, and he came away from that battlefield that day without a head because of David. And in the entire interim of this interaction, the army of the Lord stood back there, cowering, wetting themselves and nervous wrecks. We need to understand that. And despite all of that, brothers and sisters, we can learn a few things from David. Our David, the Bible says, is our example. And we can learn from him. Amen? 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 33. Look at what the king says to our David. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, and this is where it gets really applicable to our lives. Listen. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. That's an anticlimactic beginning to a story. Yeah? Oh, you're keeping sheep. Ooh. Then it just takes a turn. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I don't know about you, but we can learn an awful lot from those verses about how our David took on our Goliath and how as members of the army of the Lord, we can therefore take on those things that come against us. Okay? We can learn a lot. By the time he arrived on the battlefield to face Goliath, David had already faced at least two named, powerful, and formidable foes that we know of. This is the two he says. There may have been more. We don't know. This may have been it. And if that is all there were, that's enough. I want you to know, how many of you have ever thought when were there bears and lions in Israel? Anybody ever asked that question? I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm reading this story years ago, and I'm like, when was there ever lions and tigers and bears, oh my, in Israel? Well, there was. The Syrian bear, Syrian brown bear, and the Asiatic lion actually inhabited those, those lands. They went totally and completely extinct early 20th century. You can thank David 
for going toward that extinction. Because he killed a couple of them, at least. Thanks, David. Jerk. Kill him. If you were Greenpeace or some tree hugger right now, you'd be unhappy with David for that alone. But the bottom line is, when bears and lions and giants, oh my, come after sheep, David doesn't take that sitting down. You are members of the army of the Lord, but you're also His sheep. And the Lord isn't going to take lions and tigers and giants, oh my, sitting down. You may have to sit through 40 days of your giant or your lion or your bear. But at some point, David's showing up. And we need to recognize this. David had already faced this lion and this bear. Goliath wasn't David's first time at bat, brothers and sisters. By the time, if you want to go into theology, remember the rebellion in heaven? Yeah, this isn't Jesus' first time at bat. By the time David faced Goliath with all the Philistine army in tow, David had no doubt as to the outcome of this particular contest. He wasn't worried about this. He was like Diana this morning. David was listening to this big mouth giant and he was annoyed to the nth degree. And he said, I've fought the lion, I've fought the bear, the Philistine, you watch, this is going down the same way, and it has, amen? That's why we're here today. David knew how this contest was going to happen. He declared it. Why? Because he had already faced two very large, very determined, aggressive, and savage opponents, and the giant would be no different. We need to learn a couple of things from this passage. If you're a person who's dealing with depression, anxiety, confusion, fear, etc., listen to what David says how he played this game. One, here's the first thing you need to recognize. You, look at me, everybody, I know you're taking notes, look at me. You can defeat your enemies in the name of Jesus. I don't care how large, I don't care how dangerous, I don't care how savage those enemies are that come against you. You can. Defeat them. Here's the other one. Number two. Your enemies will come around from time to time in order to try to do you harm. It may be a lion this time, a bear the next time, and a giant down the road. The idea isn't to be afraid of if they come around. Or when they might come around. Or even how they'll come around. They're coming around. The idea is to be ready because they're going to come around. If you have any problem whatsoever with number two on my list, let's just refer back to number one. You can defeat the large, dangerous, and savage enemies that come against you. You can't live in fear of your lions, your bears, or your giants. You know what that's called in today's vernacular? If the born-again, spirit-filled child of God walks around afraid of being attacked, by the devil? You know what that's called today? That's called terrorism. That's exactly what it's called. You can beat your enemies because you are a member of the army of the Lord. 
that in and of itself doesn't mean a thing until we recognize the fact that we've already had a David go before us. Those are your two headings. One, you can. Two, they will. But we also need to take an opportunity to learn from each and every encounter that we have. How many of you have fought something before that came after you with a vengeance? I mean, it came after you, teeth bared, claws going. It wanted you down, and it wanted you there badly. You need to learn from that. You need to learn how you came out of that. You need to learn how victory was brought in that. You need to take notes, think back, and realize what happened. David did. Let's look. Listen to what David said to Saul. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. There's your first big clue. Struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When, not if, when it turned on me. In other words, your actions are going to annoy your enemy. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. In other words, what David, this nondescript individual who's been out sheep herding, says to the king of Israel is this, You hide and watch me. What Christians do more often than not today is we don't say to the king, you watch how this turns out. Oh no, we go, oh the devil is after me. Oh God, help me. Where are you, Lord? I don't know where you are. Instead, we have to look at our enemies as defiant and defying that thing that is holy because we stand up for God. We are the children of God. That's what we are. So everything that comes against us is ultimately coming against Him because He's either trying to trip us up, slow us down, get us stuck in the mud, or outright kill us. Which means His interests, God's interests in you are being utterly affected by your enemy. Okay, it's time for you and me to start looking at whatever that enemy is and say, you watch how this is going to turn out. See, David had a strategy. Back when I was a kid, my brother used to say, strategy. David had a strategy. He had an approach to defeating his enemies. He learned from each and every encounter, only to apply it the next time. He didn't say he did this when he encountered the lion, and he did that when he encountered the bear. No, he had a strategy, an approach to defeating large, dangerous adversaries, and that he was going to apply that same approach to Goliath. That's what David said. To David's mind, one enemy was no different than another. He didn't care. Whatever was in jeopardy, in this case, sheep, David said, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. In other words, he didn't allow the bear or the lion to just take off with whatever was ours. What is yours that's being grabbed by a lion, a bear, or, or a giant and run off and you're going, oh, dear God, look at him. He's getting smaller as he leaves. No. 
David's approach was, oh no, you didn't. Went after him, struck him, meaning I got his attention. And then I took what was taken back. It was taken from me. I pursued him, struck him, so he would stop and turn around, snatched what was mine back, and rescued it. Once rescued, he turned his attention to the adversary, who, as expected, had turned on David. You taking back what I just stole? I don't think so. Lunges after David, who in turn took control of the enemy, saying, I seized it by its hair. I seized it by its hair. What does that mean? It means he took control of the enemy. And then in short order, he defeated that enemy that he was taking control over in the name of the Lord, struck it, and killed it. Notice. I want you to notice what I just told you. And notice that this is exactly what he did to the lion, what he did to the bear. This is exactly what he did to the Goliath as well. Exactly. He struck him with a stone. Rescuing Israel from the giant's mouth, metaphorically speaking, after taking Goliath's sword from its scabbard, he seized him by the hair, seeing that he was face down on the ground, struck him again, this time with Goliath's own sword, and killed him by beheading. You know what I think we don't have is a plan. David executed the plan he told Saul about that happened at least twice exactly as he said so on the battlefield. Notice too that David first, first describes his encounter with the lion and the bear in a way that speaks of his own actions. Then he speaks after that how the Lord rescued him. You've all heard the old saying, it takes two to tango. Well, it takes two to get victory over your enemies too. It takes two. You must take the action to defeat who or what is right in front of you. Whatever it is that's threatening you. Taking what is rightfully yours and then give the credit to the Lord who enabled you to do it to win the contest delivering you from that enemy. Too many of us this day and age wait around thinking God is just going to part some mythical Red Sea on our behalf and we don't have to do anything. And yet we sit in our troubles and we sit with our enemies pounding on us wondering where God is. Well, let me tell you where God is. God is standing right there going, will you get off your butt and do something? You are members of the army of my son. Get up! That's what God's doing. And once you get up, you then watch what I'll do. You hide and watch what I'm going to do. Because when you get up, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the anointing and the ability to do what you need to do to defeat that enemy. And then you can give me credit for it. Thank you very much because it will be because of me. You must take the action to defeat who or what is right in front of you. And then you need to give the Lord the credit. Our Goliath is the enemy of our souls. And his demons and spirits come in many various forms. Depression, anxiety, fear, confusion, anger, and the like. The list could go on and on. But he has a single intention. He has a single intention. One mission. If you are suffering with depression, 
and anxiety, if you're suffering from fear and anxiety and other things, listen to me. You may have gotten that honest like I did from my environment very early on. But I'm going to tell you right now, the devil is going to stay there long after that environment is gone if you don't know who and what you're dealing with and how to subsequently deal with him. He's going to stay. And his single mission in life is to fight against us. Don't ever ask the question, why is this happening? Don't ever ponder the question of why is all this difficulty coming our way? Why is there so much problems in the church? Don't ask that question. The question has been answered in the Word of God. He is in hot pursuit of the army of God because the army thinks they can't beat Him. But the reality is is He's already beat. Because our David has already walked onto the battlefield. The things that are coming against us... Now that's a different sermon. That's a different sermon. But let's look at this. His mission is to fight against us. Goliath, 1 Samuel 17.8 stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel... This has always been a weird verse for me because it took me some time to figure this one out. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. In other words, what Goliath is saying here is, isn't the reason, isn't this the whole reason why we're here? To fight? To do battle? Why are you standing over there doing nothing? Isn't this why we're here? To fight? Why are you standing around wetting yourselves? The whole reason we've taken our vacation days to come out here and go to war is so we can kill each other. There will be no diplomacy. Let's get on with this. Goliath goes on to say, If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. That's a lie. When you defeat your enemies, ladies and gentlemen, there is no servitude from them coming toward you. They're only going to come back again. That is a lie. You can expect that. First, we must recognize that any promise made by our enemy is a lie. He will never concede and serve you. Never. It is a lie. Don't think you're going to get benefits out of defeating your enemy other than getting rid of him. He's not sneaking around to serve you. It's not happening. Two, we must recognize that when we face our Goliath, and the point is, or the the proof of that is, as soon as Goliath was decapitated, what did the Philistine army do? They ran. No one's serving anybody. We've got to recognize that we must face our Goliath. When we do that, someone is going to die in the course of the conflict. We have to realize this. That is the nature of the contest. It will either be him because of your resistance against him, he's going to die, or it will be you because of your submission to him. Choose. Someone is going to die. Then the Philistine said, Give me a man and let us fight. I'm trying to hurry to the end, and I don't know if I'm going to get there. It's already 17 minutes after the hour. Then the Philistines said, Give me a man and let us fight one another. And this is Goliath's official position, ladies and gentlemen. Give me a man. Goliath's official position, his press release to all believers is this. I am bigger. I am stronger. I am better armed. And I am far more intimidating than you can possibly imagine. If someone will just give me someone to kill, someone to destroy, someone to annihilate, someone to humiliate, someone to defy. We can settle once and for all that your feeble faith and your pathetic Christianity is utterly insignificant and completely subordinate to me. And when I am done with it, I will leave it bleeding out 
twitching and quivering in the desert sand and you can get down to the business of serving me. Now, give me a man! That's your enemy. That is your enemy. That is a lie. You hear me. He is already defeated. He's not going to kill anyone if you'll just stand up against him and apply your authority in Christ. Ain't nobody going to die if we'll just stand up like David stood. We're not David. David's already done the work. We have to look at our individual lions, bears, and giants and do what David did. We are his army. This is a deception. Remember, remember this. You, brothers and sisters, are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. And I have to stop. I have to stop. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And if you are suffering with depression and anxiety, if you're suffering with fear and anger and confusion and the rest, I'm going to tell you, all you need to do is recognize the fact that your enemy has a face and he has a name. And he's coming after you because he's going to take you out if he can. And the only way that he can is if you let him. Don't let him. Don't let him. You see, our Goliath was dealt with on a cross and in a tomb. Everybody else, every other enemy that comes against you, listen to me, is just the Philistine army. And I'm going to tell you the posture that the Philistine army has. The same posture that they took when David decapitated Goliath what does the Bible say that the Philistine armies did? When they saw that their champion was killed, they ran. Now, they want you to think they're still oh so bad. But the reality is this. You now are in the power. You now are in the influence game. You are. And if you're depressed... I want you to know something. Jesus went to the cross for your depression. Jesus went to the cross for your anxiety. Your fear, your confusion, your anger, your rage, and all the other things that you experience. Jesus has already dealt with that Goliath. Everything else is a Philistine. We need to pursue. Remember what David said his technique was? He went after it. When the lion or the bear took the lamp, he went after it, right? What did Israel do as soon as Philistines turned and ran? They stood there and went, yay! No, they didn't. They drew their swords and ran after the Philistines and the slaughter was ongoing. Read the story. That's how we need to posture ourselves. David was a man of immense, debilitating, crippling uh, depression at times. All you have to do is read the Psalms. But the reality is that that's not this, David. We need to start our recovery from the position that he already beat Goliath. Everything else is just a Philistine. Stand with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we love You. We praise You. We glorify Your name. You are God. And we thank You. Father, I'm asking right now in Jesus' name that You would minister in this house. Father, You've been here. 
Thank you for that. You've ministered to people early on. You've ministered to people in song. You've ministered to people in spirit. You've ministered to people. Hallelujah. Father, right now I'm just asking that your word find good soil. And that, Lord, it finds root and, and, and moisture. And that, Father, that if this doesn't apply today, Father, it might apply tomorrow. Or it might apply the next day. Or it might apply the next week or next month or next year. But, Lord, it's going to apply at some point. And that, Lord, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would minister right now to these people. Is there anybody who has any other need today as we close out our service? Anybody have a need? Is there anything here in this message that touched you that you're thinking, wow, that really rung my bell? Awful lot of quiet folk today, and I don't know if that was because of the nature of the message or if it was because it was hitting home. Is there anybody today that needs a prayer? Anyone at all, in Jesus' name we praise you, glorify you. Father, we thank you today. We ask right now in Jesus' name that as we leave this house of God, as we leave this sanctuary of congregation, Lord, that you would minister and that you would touch, uh, that we go out into the world and that, Lord, we're bright lights, not covered up, not hiding in tents. We're bright lights, living like you would live living like you live, speaking like you speak. Lord, we love you and praise you and glorify your name. In Jesus' holy name we pray all this. And everybody said amen and amen. You are dismissed today. Thank you for being here today. We love you so much. Thank you so much. Visitors, love you. Thank you for being here.